0: there was a a ethos back then which we would say was do smart in a stupid way and do stupid in a smart way and so the editorial really reflected that as well too in terms of just um if you wanted to explain you know the middle east crisis you would do it through an unusual way and then things that were probably a little above your head we would obviously do in a very stupid way (laughs) we live in a world that's kind of crazy right now are you adding more to the system than taking from it? I wasn't willing to tell myself that I didn't believe in myself enough to make it work. Come to Austin, just do cool stuff. That's the cover charge.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to Third Lamar's cover charge podcast. We've had a bit of a hiatus. Um, actually, I think this is our first episode. It's got to be you know six months, maybe longer um, and I want we have a special guest who I'm going to introduce in a second, but I want to start off just explaining where Third Lamar has been and where we are now and that iteration. And this is just for anyone who maybe is starting their own business or who's followed along with our progress along the way. that has been a journey. Actually, April 2022 marks three years since I resigned from my last job and decided to start Third Lamar with Tony and Heather. And it's been, you know, if you wrote the screenplay, no one would believe it. It's just been wild, not only COVID, but just so many other ups and downs. And if you recall, just from the first episode, we started Third Lamar because we wanted to combine an ad agency and a production house together with a subscription media company that specifically covered Austin business, subculture, and music. And the genesis of that was, I just remember reading sites like Austin Business Journal and the Statesman and I thought the way they covered business news well, didn't really resonate with me and I thought there was stories that were not really told and not really told in the right way, especially with video. So I thought there was an opportunity there but to bootstrap a business and build a subscriber base you needed to have other ways to generate revenue and that's where the agency and the production side came in to deline- delineate the two sides of the business we created thirdlamar.com, which was our site to cover Austin business, subculture music, and thirdlamarmedia.com, which was to highlight all of our client work. Well, we got punched in the face like everyone else when March 2020 hit. And, and basically at that point going forward, we were in survival mode for the rest of 2020. We really didn't produce any or very little content for thirdlamar.com. Didn't really give ourselves a chance to build a subscriber base all of our energy effort and focus went to building up our client base 2021 was a great growth year but what we realized was that there was tons of confusion between the content that we produced for ourselves on thirdlamar.com and the client work we did on thirdlamarmedia.com to the point where we would even stop trying to explain the different sides of the business but the good news is right now if you go to thirdlamar.com we have one cohesive singular brand We're not differentiating between both sides of our business anymore. And the person who helped us refresh our brand and combine everything into one singular Thurlumar brand is here. We have Matt Schoen joining us, creative director, design director, uh, former executive design director at Vice. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Nick.
1: Matt, it's interesting how we met. Austin Monthly published a post on their Instagram about third Lamar. I want to say near the end of 2020 and we got somebody I think slid into our DMS or emailed us (laughs) and wanted to grab a coffee. And we met up with Matt at central market and kind of went from there. Matt helped us with a few design projects and it went well. And then when we thought, Hey, let's just really come up with a new brand for third Lamar. We reached
0: out to Matt again. Yeah, and that's exactly correct. I think it was just during the pandemic and being someone new to the city. We moved actually prior to the pandemic, but when it happened, it was hard to sort of connect with people in similar industries. And I thought, well, f- screw it. Let me reach out to Nick and see <laughs> if, if they'd want to get a coffee. And I wasn't necessarily fishing for work, but I just wanted to, to connect with people in an industry here in Austin. And uh, you guys were kind enough to accept the invitation. If I recall correctly, you were on a road trip
1: down to Austin right when COVID kind of hit and started shutting everything down in March
0: of 2020. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We packed up, I want to say like the first week of March, and we were driving down from New York City down to Austin. And then along the way, we just got more and more news about this virus that was spreading. <laughs> Obviously, we knew about it in, in you know other parts of the world, but it started spreading in the United States. And then uh, as soon as we got to Texas, I think we had a day out getting dinner and drinks, and then everything shut down. <laughs>
1: wow. Amazing timing. When why did you want to leave New York, by the way? And and was that something that you were in New York for I think 13 years, is that right?
0: Uh no, actually longer, almost 20 years. To put an exact number, I think it was like 18, but yeah, close to 20 years in New York. Okay. Um I uh I got there because of school. Uh, I uh, went to a small school in East Village called Cooper Union, and I was fortunate enough to get a free ride there, so it would be stupid for me to not take it. (laughs) So when I was there, I um, saw this um, free sort of magazine that was at uh, all the cool stores and record shops and skate shops um, called Vice, and it was free. I was really uh, blown away by just the really insane editorial that was in it. And, uh, I was like, I'm gonna see if, if they ever need any like internship help or whatever. So I, while I was still in school, I, uh, I reached out and, uh, I got an internship there. And, uh, once I got there, I realized very quickly that uh, they uh, did not have any designers on staff. They were just doing most stuff through contractors, favors from friends, you know, very scrappy stuff back in the day before vice was as huge as it was. And I just glommed onto it and started taking on more and more work while I was still in school and got hired while I was still in school and was, I guess technically and officially their first designer on staff. And, um, as this is 2005 right yeah yeah 2005 yeah and uh, as things grew and expanded um uh there was uh, i think 2006 there was a uh i guess at the time a small video platform called youtube <laughs> that came out and uh uh the the founders decided to start filming their articles and i knew a little bit of like you know video graphics and things like that so i said oh i could i could do that too So, you know, we, at the time, none of us knew what we were doing. You know, we were using, you know, pretty shitty digital cameras, you know, uh, probably, um, uh, what was the Apple desktop publishing editing software? You know, things that were probably not the most ideal at the time. As that sort of escalated and grew and we got more traction from that, um, um, it it, it just became almost like a a challenge of volume. There was just so much coming in that I, I told uh, Shane and Sarush at the time. I think we need to hire another designer, and that escalated. You know, a few months later, like I think we need another designer. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot, of, lot of things coming through, um, and then uh, that just eventually snowballed into oh, I, I think we need to actually build a whole department. I think we need a whole, you know, system here for to handle all this. And so, kind of haphazardly and organically, you know, um, I built a whole team that, you know, executed and, and worked on, you know, pretty much everything The Vice made for a decade plus. And um, so in 2005, when you started as an intern, they were in New York, but they started in Montreal, right? That's correct. Yeah. They started out as a um, uh, a punk zine called Voice of Montreal at the time. Um, and this is actually true. Srooosh, one of the founders, got on board with a, a work welfare program. With the Voice of Montreal to publish it. And they just eventually took it over and they dropped the uh, I in voice, I mean, not the I, the O in voice, and uh, changed it to vice and um, just started making its own distinct sort of issue and publication at the time. Um, and uh, around the time of like the dot com bubble in the early 2000s, they got some investment. And moved to New York to expand from Canada into the United States. You know, Canada obviously is a big country, but for a lot of Canadian businesses, you know, the United States is kind of the prize in terms of expansion. And um, the dot-com bubble obviously blew. They regathered their things in Brooklyn and started publishing and doing online stuff in, in you know the early two thousands, two thousand two, and started getting more traction as they were doing more of the magazine uh and that's when i came aboard about three years later yeah, was there ever a point as vice
1: grew where you know you were like this is this is getting a little too you know uncomfortable the growth is too, too insane <laughs> i have no work-life balance or like it's just not not as fun as when you first started
0: and was, um well yeah. I, you know I, I think when um you're in your, your 20s and you're, you're really young and hungry, you don't really know any better. <laughs> yeah. So you're, 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 you're just excited to be a part, you know, along for the ride. And, and you know, um, th- there's definitely a feeling in charge of just like all these new things. And despite the insanity and hours and volume <laughs> that's coming through, you're just, it's all so new and exciting, you know. And um, I, th- I think that was one of the fort- fortunate and thankful things, you know, cutting your teeth and learning when you're so young to having that, but, um, like anything there's, there's, there's a limit, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, you know, vice raised, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, from the likes of private equity, Disney, et cetera. What was that fundraising like was
0: it exciting yeah i i i think there's an excitement in terms of just any sort of success when you feel like you're riding a rocket ship um and i think you know i i probably got caught up in just the idea that like wow this this is going to be huge we're all we're all you know it's it's all going to be so big for everyone and uh uh you know i think that's a, a really good mentality to have too but um sometimes you put aside like the Oh, is this is this <laughs> is this still you know fun? Is this still punk? And it is obviously, but um, you know, I I, it, I think we all get caught up in terms of the um, uh, what would the word be? I, I, just the 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 escalation, snowball of so much success and, and growth and things like that, and so you feel charged by it. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I, I think for me personally, I wouldn't say for the company. I, I think I probably lost a little bit of my way in terms of just you know just the essential creativity of just making cool shit, you know, Mm um, when you're more caught up about, you know, um, KPIs and all those, those boring acronyms that that come through with scale and growth. Right. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah. What was the secret that vice had figured out that other media companies in that
0: time hadn't figured out that caused vice to like really distinguish itself? I I think that there's a few factors. I think before the video, the editorial was very, um, very out there, but also really strong. And there was a, a, a ethos back then, which we would say was do smart in a stupid way and do stupid in a smart way. And so the editorial really reflected that as well too, in terms of just, um, if you wanted to explain, you know, the Middle East crisis, you would do it through an unusual way, and then things that were probably a little above your head, we would obviously do in a very stupid way, <laughs> and that worked. Um, but I think also too, it, it there was a, just a time where um, it, it, I think people were looking for relatability, and it's a very un- overused term, but uh, you know, authenticity when it comes to to you know, youth. Editorial and, and videos and things like that too, and so I think what really changed things beyond just the written editorial was when we started doing videos. We um, we started getting into more news, um, you know, and and I think the, the smart and stupid way and stupid and smart way was still there, but there was obviously a lot more issues and, and things that that we were growing more concerned about. Um, and the shift from a news platform became um, really what I think legitimized the company and. That was, you know, when people like Thomas Morton, Ryan Duffy, and a number of people that, like, you know, Ryan was my roommate, you know, that, like, you you wouldn't know these people. These were not, like, newscasters with a suit and tie, talking official with, like, the voice of God. These were relatable people that maybe didn't have a full handle on things, maybe didn't have, like, the the best sort of enunciation or things that you would usually expect, but that worked because it felt more relatable, um, and it wasn't like the handsome newscaster. Um, and I think that really resonated as well, too. And then I think, secondly, um, w- what really helped was that um, we just had an amazing crew of, of uh, as we got better and cut our teeth in terms of, you know, editing and, 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 and camera work and cinematography, that we used the really good cameras that you wouldn't necessarily use back in the day for news um, uh, documentary broadcasting and you know using the really nice Alexa's and things like that you wouldn't normally see and that really made it feel that combination of like sort of an authentic person that you could relate to witnessing these scenes and then also this really just high-end camera work worked so well together and it's interesting because i think vice was really early to do that and it, it, it 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 helped really elevate the brand and bring so much attention and views to things that um it, it, it you started to see it pop up in other places and other platforms. You know even the New York Times now is doing amazing work. Um and you know I can see that DNA that Vice originally created and how that is is obviously spreading you know, yeah. across media now.
1: Was there like an us against the world mentality advice?
0: Um Sorta. Of. I mean, I, I I don't think that was that was ever the thought. You know, the the uh, you know, I don't think it was that was ever said. Um, but you know, I, I think we we just wanted to make things that we wanted to see and read and listen to, and um, if the world wasn't making that, that was kind of shitty, you know? So that, that was like, you know, I, you know, you kind of wish that there was some sort of, in the early days, some strategy and overarching mission statement, but it was just really about making, you know, stuff that we wanted to watch and, and stuff that we, we felt strongly and passionately about. And that really was about what it was, it, you know, I know it sounds kind of simplistic, but, you know, it just kind of went, you know, you have that sort of magical moment, and you're with friends, and you just feel like you're making cool shit. It's a good feeling. You know? Yeah, yeah. Did
1: you know? I get the sense from you telling the story that you kind of walked in, and it was like a blank canvas in terms of the design, the creative that you really could put your stamp on things. Is that accurate, or were the founders pretty prescriptive in terms of the look and feel that they really wanted?
0: I don't know. I I I I wouldn't say necessarily that that I I brought my stamp into it. You know, I was still young and probably. <laughs> probably impressionable at the time um but um i you know i, I had good training with 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 my background and everything um and and um you know I, I foolishly thought back in the day that i wanted to be in in magazines and publishing but thankfully vice <laughs> didn't stick with that um uh so it, you know i i think like anything it, it you know my expertise helped them but also their point of view and what I felt so passionately about at the time was, was, was also really helpful for me too. You know, it, it, it also helped build my worldview as well. And, and so I, I would, I would not say that I, I, I put my stamp or imprint on them, but I definitely knew how I could help and how I could make it better and, uh, and hopefully make it, you know, feel resonant. <laughs>
1: yeah. So maybe some people listening to this don't know this, but, Vice has a separate agency called Virtue. And it's actually not that uncommon for media companies to have an agency arm. You got involved with Virtue at some point. At How many years in was it before Vice decided to spin that up? And And if I recall correctly, you had a lot of brands saying, hey, we love the content that you guys are producing for Vice. Like, we want that for ourselves. And that was, like, the impetus for launching Virtue, correct?
0: Yeah, that is is correct. I think at the time, I mean, this was... Virtue didn't really officially launch, I think, until 2007, if I remember correctly. But um, um, at the time, there was interest. You know, I think a lot of brands want, at the time, Vice... They're obviously still very popular at the time. It was like hot, like supreme hot, you know? Um, and um, I think a lot of brands just wanted to be a part of the cool kids party. And um, one of the challenges is that the brand was called Vice. We weren't as huge at the time. Um, and we had a lot of, you know, X rated content. Um, and, and so that it, 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 presented a challenge in terms of like, you know, well, well, vice could do work for you now. That's no longer an issue obviously, but, um, that's how virtue became spun out of that, you know, sort of the opposing side, obviously vice virtue and people like Spencer Bame and Thalia Mavros were really essential to, to building that. Um, and I, I also helped in terms of that too, in terms of just, um, in addition to obviously making the editorial content, not making the editorial, but helping design the editorial content um, and then also doing the brand work as well, too, because, you know, the reality is um, if you don't have a, a subscription model um, for your publications, you rely on advertising or sponsorships. And that's where brand work really becomes necessary. And so Virtue is really good in terms of um, um, providing services that don't necessarily uh have vice attached to it, but they're providing their expertise uh to that. Um so I, I think some of the early stuff oh my gosh, it, it was a while ago, but like I don't know we did stuff with like Viacom when Second Life was like a big deal. They made like a virtual lower East side. It um was not the best idea, but you know. <laughs> um but it was all branded content for the most part. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also in addition to brand content, there'd be commercials as well because we, you know, obviously had had done a lot in terms of video work at the time, too. So it honestly, it was anything and everything. It really varied. Um, and and that's snowballed. And now Virtue is, is really huge and, and international. And they're doing really great work now, too. Yeah.
1: You just alluded to something that like, you know, that's no longer an issue now, like, you know, Vice now versus when you were there, you know is different was there always pressure to like tame things down because that would help attract more advertisers sponsors etc or was that like something where the founder Shane would he was like putting his foot down like no you know we we want to stay true to our roots type thing
0: I, I think it's more of the latter because that's what the where the magic of you know what you make and the where the appeal comes from in terms of just trying to make sure that you know you stick to your guns in terms of what feels right but you know like anything with growth and when more money comes gets involved (laughs) there there obviously are concessions that do need to be made not saying that that is holistically what vice has done but that's just the reality you know like you probably can't have nudity uh you know uh on your site if you know you're Trying to, you know, Procter
1: and Gamble's spot, yeah, something.
0: yeah, yeah. So, so there obviously are concessions that do need need to be made. So, it, you know, like anything, it's it's about finding that balance while not losing your soul. Yeah. 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 Um, the cool thing I think from from my perspective that you got
1: to be involved in is the brand lived in so many different places. The Vice branded from a de- design perspective was that really exciting for you? What challenges did that present?
0: Oh, it was it was really exciting. I mean, I I, I remember working on the HBO show and, and feeling like, you know, wow, this is really legitimate. <laughs> so it, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I think one of the most rewarding experiences was when Vice um, made a deal with A&E Networks to launch, uh, at the time it was called Viceland, which was a TV network. Um, and what was incredible was, you know, we were responsible for branding the tv network but also making the shows themselves too which is unheard of you know you're never the network and the production company at the same time so um it was really exciting to just have your hands in all of it and 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 also just be really creative at the time too um because the budgets were big and and people were just excited to make cool things um and it was also amazing too because spike jones um uh, famous director that that did you know being John Malkovich where the wild things are her he he's been a buddy for a long long time and he came aboard as as uh the creative director for the TV network and um I, I was such a rewarding experience to work closely with him in terms of you know building the look and feel of these shows but also the uh, the network itself with you know a really amazing talented crew as well like uh, the company Gretel and, and obviously uh, co-workers and staff that I had on as well too um and it was it was it was a good really good learning exp- experience but also too like I think you mentioned in terms of you know economic pressures and watering things down sort of um a TV network has a lot of those pitfalls and traps and it was really really refreshing and a really good learning experience too. working with spike because he doesn't worry about those economic pressures. It's all about kind of staying true to the creativity and all that. And, uh, really amazing learning lesson. I think like when I started on the network with him, I think we all had maybe the wrong mindset of like, well, we need to make sure this looks like a TV network. And, um, so we did, you know, some amazing packaging, initial packaging, that looks like as as shit. And <laughs> and and Spike was like, This is terrible. This looks like it was built by a machine. And he was totally right. So we scrapped everything and just made something that felt far truer and, and um, uh, almost anti T V. And that I think moving forward has been a really good learning lesson that it, it's not about trying to, to keep up with the status quo or trying to make what other people expect it should be, but also but more so just making something that feels more true, you know, yeah, or stands out. You
1: know? Yeah. When did you realize that it was time to go?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it it was a point, I think, when my wife and I, we were entering our mid to late thirties, and uh, we, um, we had an amazing time and, and really great careers in New York, and um, we just still felt like we were living in a college dorm kind of, you know, and, um, um, and, you know, I, I like I said, it, it's, it's just all so new and exciting in your twenties, but in your thirties, it's like, you realize that your, your body and your, 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 your emotional mental health can't keep up that pace. You know, you can't, you can't do the 80 hour work weeks or 60 hour work weeks. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, we both kind of hit burnout and it wasn't necessarily because of, of, of our, 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 jobs, I would say, but it's also, I, you know, and I love New York so much. I'm so thankful for it. Um, and, and, and we'll always love New York, but it's also just the mentality that New York fosters as well too. Yeah. That, um, it's, you know, it's a very doggy dog world and it's, it's, it's a grind culture, you know? And I think we both got to a point where we we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's the way we want to. Live out the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's that's kind of where we came to it. And I, you know, I, I I was just looking ahead to, in terms of where life would take us. I think we both kind of felt good with what we had done, and there wasn't gonna be sort of a new hurdle or chapter in terms of where we were at in our careers. And so, did you
1: meet your wife at Vice?
0: no I, I we met uh, through uh, a friend Sarah who who did work advice but uh, some mutual friends got like, it like got a backyard it. barbecue which is like a very Brooklyn thing yeah yeah um uh, so yeah it, it it you know it was burnout and and just sort of kind of feeling like you're hitting a wall and and so we we realized that we both needed like a real big kick in the ass and and um and reset and so we both decided that we quit our jobs. We're still friends with with everyone in both our careers, and um, still in contact. Saw Shane but in South by Southwest, which was fun. Um, um, and packed our things and, and moved to Austin, and not really with a plan of what we'd do, but knew we we'd figure it out. Yeah, um,
1: I want to ask you more about Austin, but first, I don't know if you're watching this, but. Apple TV Plus has this series called We Crashed on WeWork, yes. and it's with Jared Leto. Um, I forget the name of the actress. She's great, though. And uh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and you know, not saying Vice is like WeWork at all, but in terms of the rapid growth, reminds me of a lot of venture back startups that grow so fast. I actually watched that, and my wa- my wife laughs at me because I get an anxiety because I'm just like, damn, there's so much challenge in growing that fast and uh they actually draw they dramatize it so much which is why it's a good show too yeah. but uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> Do you watch that? And do you get no, the same anxiety?
0: <laughs> no, but I'm I'm very aware of of, of the WeWork uh, rise, and I I, I, I guess you call it fall too. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, um, yeah. I I, I I and and some people would call WeWork a scam. I don't think Vice was is or was ever a scam. I, I do think that the marketplace one with like Silicon Valley was so hot, hence WeWork growing so much. Everyone loved any sort of. Silicon Valley Unicorn. And I think Vice was placed in, in that pantheon, too. But also, I think at the time, there was a lot of, of just real big interest in, in terms of just digital content and media and thinking that 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 legacy publishing was going to be in the dustbin. And so I think there was a lot of froth with the BuzzFeeds, Foxes, and, and, and all these other uh, publications, and Vice, obviously, as well, too. I, I think because of that that, that obviously charge that rapid growth because I think everyone thought the future would be digital media and Facebook and all this stuff too. And, you know, um, video, you know, shift to video, yeah. pivot to video, all, all these things. And, and, and some of that still is true, but I think the reality is, is that, you know, the legacy publications, the subscriber based publications, um, they're not, they're not old and creaky, you know, they can hire young people, they can make video too. And so they're obviously able to catch up too, you know, and, Also, they have a legitimacy being around so long as well too. So um, they weren't going to be in the dustbin, Um, and that that totally makes sense as well too. So, um, and I think, I mean, geez, there's so many factors. This is probably boring for a podcast, but when you're not a subscriber based model, you rely on advertising revenue, and that's you know banner ads and and you know pre roll video and things like that too. When most advertisers are spending their advertising dollars on facebook and google instead of pl- video platforms or, or editorial platforms i think I, don't know, I haven't looked at the figure but i think it's like 70 70 cents to every dollar spent on facebook and, and google yeah that pie was a lot bigger in the, in the mid-2000s mm-hmm. these platforms were getting a lot of advertising revenue but that obviously shifted with the growth of social media so it, it's 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 just kind of the changing headwinds so i don't think the comparison that we work is accurate because um, I, I think we work, you know, <laughs> shared workspaces have been around for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, they just had a cold brew machine and like, you know, some succulents. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, so, so,
0: um, so I, you know, I, I don't think that's ownable IP. Whereas I think like vice had definitely a much bigger magic and still does obviously. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's get to Austin. Has Austin lived up to your expectations? Honestly, <laughs> like I said earlier, we, we were just looking for a really good kick in the ass. So I I was at a point where I was I was just open to anything <laughs> that that would come. Um and uh, uh, no disappointments. We've always loved Austin. Um and I know there's there's a big sort of contingent of people that don't want to, you know, California. They're Texas, mm-hmm. <laughs> unquote. Or uh, and and I ho- hopefully I'm not contributing to that, but I'm, I'm very well aware of, of 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 that sentiment. I I think there's an ease, and I'm not a big believer in in like the term work life balance, but just more so um, about just like just finding meaning in the day to day that you do. And I, I think Austin really helps foster that. You don't wake up and you know hit the subway and you know your two hour long commute and you know. It, it, it doesn't feel as much of a, a rat race here, you know, I think. And the people are awesome as well, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my my impression of Austin is, um, compared to other places I've lived, Houston, L.A., you know, when you meet new people here, the first question they ask isn't, like, what do you do? Um, Very More true. often than not, that, you know, that's later in the conversation, if at all, because people just don't give a shit as much. And uh, people don't have... You know, maybe it's different in other parts of town. Um, I live near 40th and Lamar, near cent- sort of north central Austin, but um, people don't have as much of an agenda, I think, here compared to other places I've lived.
0: So true. I, I, you're absolutely right. You know, I think I still had—I didn't mean to interrupt you, too, Nick—but I, I, I think when the the uh, big freeze that happened in 2021, I still had that sort of doggy dog New Yorker mindset where I was like, man, everyone's going to be in it for their, themselves in terms of repairs and, like, supplies. It's it's going to be fucked, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the exact opposite. Everyone mm. was just so friendly and helpful. <laughs> yep. And so it was it was just encouraging, man. And yeah. I, I think, like, you know, shedding that cynicism and that sort of, like, sort of, you know, one-upsmanship and, you know, like you said, what do you do sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's been really, really good and, and just just more healthy as well, too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think you fit in well here. I mean, we barely knew each other, grab coffee. I think we invited you out to one of our live streams like a month later. And you actually, you showed up, um, weren't flaky. So,
0: you know, I feel like that's a common pandemic thing too. Um, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it for sure. It's like, yeah, let's get a drink soon. And then like, obviously (laughs) later, nothing happens. (laughs) Um, well, let's
1: talk about, you know, working together You know, our brand was sort of disconnected, convoluted, kind of a lot of different things. There's problems all over the place. We came to you and we said, Hey, you know, we have this problem. Can you help us solve it? We want like one cohesive brand that like explains like who we are and what we do. Just first impressions when you looked at the problem, what did you think? And then also talk about your like creative process. Cause when you came to Austin, you didn't have a full time job you kind of made the, your mind up that you're going to freelance and take on different creative work. Mm-hmm. What's that process like when a company, a brand approaches you and needs a brand refresher, a total rebrand?
0: Yeah, I, I you know, and I I feel so blessed and fortunate too that, that people like you, Nick, and and, and Theron Lamar, and, and just friends and colleagues have, have honestly been constantly hitting me up for, for things. And, and so it's been great to see just as a freelancer just how much, like, you can do, um, and, and good work as well too. Good, good work you can do. Um, and, uh, when you guys contacted me, um, um, you know, I, I, I think for a lot of, of consumers, it was challenging to understand that like, there's obviously the production arm and the editorial arm and they're divorced. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's hard as well too. Because it seemed, you know, after talking to you guys, that that a lot of the revenue and ways to keep the lights on were obviously through the sort of production work that you guys do. Um, and so it, it, it seemed, and you said this, that it made sense just to have it all in one place, right? And you guys had already built a brand. I didn't want to fuck with that too much for you guys, but just figure out a way to better streamline it, you know? Um, and so I think we we had kept in touch and that got to a point where you guys had decided to pull the trigger in in terms of just bring it all into one place, which I thought was a smart move. Um, because also it gave you guys the flexibility, you know, you know, down the line, if you guys need to focus on one area, that wouldn't be an issue. You could pull the levers on either. So we talked and, you know, I, I, I think I talked about my typical process when working with, with brands and clients when it comes to like. Um, rebranding or branding, um and I don't. I wouldn't say what we did was necessarily a rebrand, but just a way to just sort of put it all together and make it make sense. You know, yeah. give you guys a system, right? Because yeah. you guys already so you know sort of had a brand as well too.
1: The first part of the process I remember is you know you wanted some creative references, sources of inspiration to yeah. get a sense of us and. I, I remember like sending you songs that I listened to, I sent you some future Island songs, maybe some M83 and I was like, I have no idea this can be helpful. You were like, no, this actually really helps. Like explain why that stuff that seems so far outside of what our brand is, is actually helpful to you.
0: Yeah. Well, let me back up, I guess, because like I'm, I'm a big um, believer with really any project. If, if, if you can um, is, is research, you know, just like, I think so, so many people are focused on execution, execution, execution. And I feel like a lot of the work is really just about research and, and looking at stuff and just sort of like figuring out what this universe is for, you know, a company, um, or a brand or publication, you name it. Um, and you know, what, what I usually require if I, if I'm going to take on a project with someone when it comes, especially to branding is research, you know, and I, um, you know, I'll spend, you know, a couple of weeks on it usually where I might do things where, you know, I, I'll, I'll look at the landscape of other brands that might be similar to, to your brand or or um, competitors or things like that. And then sort of figure out what make, differentiates your brand from other brands. But also, too, um, I'm kind of really big on sort of the intangible and ineffable parts of branding, which get really Mm vibey and kind of hippie as well too, I guess, where it's like, what, what movies do you like? What, what music do you like? What, what do you think is like, if, what would your brand be if it was a person or, or things like that? And I I think that's really helpful in terms of understanding one, where the client's coming from, because obviously they're the most important thing, but also just like where you can take those inspirations and sort of move it further to as well. And so I think like, you know aspects of like you know future islands and m83 and and things like that is like i i think one of the things that i i i got from you guys is that you wanted something that was bold and strong in terms of your presence right and obviously that's a very vague term but it it, it kind of became clear to me that that would translate to things like sans serif fonts probably really thick type things that might seem obvious for a designer but not necessarily for the average person Mm -hmm. um so that 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 really helps you know when 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 i get those contexts i think you guys would not probably be using pastels and thin serif typography and things like that you know that that gives some good context
1: you said something during the process that um stuck with me a lot it was an example of choosing ice cream do you remember that? Actually, I don't think I do. Okay. Can you remind me? Yeah, yeah. So we're asking for. I said you presented us like a few different looks. Yes, yeah, yeah. different different directions we could go, <clears throat> and I think I made a suggestion about seeking input from subscribers, from our subscribers, and um, immediately. anyhow... We have a term at Third Lamar when we throw out half-baked ideas. We say, "Hey, just spitball in," so nobody like actually judges us for <laughs> terrible ideas. So I was spitballing, and you immediately were like, "No, like that's how you usually get something super bland." And I think maybe you didn't bring up ice cream. Maybe Frankie, who's our brand and advertising coordinator, did. But like, if you went to an ice cream store with like ten different people. And you all had to reach a consensus on which flavor to get it would either be chocolate or vanilla, yes, that's just how people work <laughs> and it's the same thing like with design. you're like if you're trying to reach a consensus, you're probably going to end up with something really bland instead of you know bold, edgy, something like outside the norm that w- that stuck with me, and I'm sure you've been in situations where people have tried to reach a consensus, and it just like
0: destroys. Design is that right? Yeah, I mean, some people call it like design by committee, and that tends to to sometimes ruin projects. Um, but sometimes that 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 that's just a part of the process. <laughs> and I do think things like focus groups do help, but sometimes it kills sort of our creativity. And um, um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in art and and creative things. Sometimes making you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes that can be a good thing. And some I know that sounds very counterintuitive, but that really is what makes things resonate. Sometimes, though, where you have that contrast, or things that don't necessarily fit or work. I, and I do think that, like part part of it, was obviously pushing you guys, but also not being too out there because I think part of it is as as a, a, a production company and working with other brands, you guys are sort of a container and gallerist for that as well too. So I wanted to make sure it was bold and strong, but it wasn't overshadowing your partners obviously. And so that was another factor too to make you guys feel sort of riding that balance of having an identity but also feeling somewhat neutral within that context and framework too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What
1: what's in the future for you in terms of professional work? Could you ever work for a venture-backed company again? Could you ever would you ever <laughs> want to work for a media company? Do you want to continue just building your own sort of consulting
0: design work? Um, I, who knows what will happen in, 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 five years or even two years time. But, um, uh, you know, I, again, I've, I've been so fortunate just to be given opportunities and work, um, as, as an individual now, um, that, that, that for the most part, are really exciting. You know, I can't disclose a lot of the projects right now, but, you know, it's a lot of rebranding of really, really awesome companies and, 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 uh, legacy publications and rebrands as well, too, that, um, um you know it's um it's good challenging work for sure um and uh you know it's working (laughs) so so if uh i think the ceo of vice
1: now is nancy dubuque yes she called called you tomorrow said hey matt we need you back here
0: asap (laughs) what's your response um i um after uh 15 years uh, having a great time with you guys i'm i'd rather stay non-monogamous um Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to do a project here or there with them. But I think, um, uh, I'm really enjoying the freedom of, of, um, having a beginning and end to projects now. And that's a really good feeling.
1: Um, one thing that kind of struck me about you, obviously we got along when we met, but I went to your Instagram and I looked at some of the art, um, and for people listening, it's just Matt showing on Instagram, um, M A T T S C H O E N. And you have some really far out design artwork that uh, it looks like September of 2020 is when you started started publishing that. Um, I'm sure you've been working on it before that, but I think I went back and that was the (laughs) first post. Um, It's like somewhat surreal. um, A lot of bright red colors. You have some characters that seem to like live in multiple different designs that you've published. Talk to me about that
0: art. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you know after 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 um, a really really you know long path of 15 years working at one company and um, doing creative work obviously but um I, I think coming from the background that I w- was coming from I, I I probably put too much importance in terms of like this is this is creative enough doing all this this commercial work right and um, I kind of felt like I lost touch with just sort of the just the <laughs> fucking around side of, of 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 creativity, which is just not based on any client work or uh, anyone else, but just me. Honestly, it's very selfish, but just like oh, I'm just gonna do this because I want to. Uh, and I think part of the the move here was also to you know build in the freedom to actually do that as well too. And I, I honestly would say that like not enough of us do that, you know, and you could call it a hobby or whatever you want, but like, th- there's always parts of us that, you know, kind of still want to do those things that, that maybe we did when we were younger and, you know, feel like we've lost touch with that. And so I, you know, part of that <laughs> in like a therapeutic way is just getting back in touch with that. So that's, that's kind of what I've been doing is, is a lot of, obviously, in addition to the uh the branded work and and rebrands and and consultancy work that I do that that obviously pays the bills I I do a lot of this work that definitely doesn't pay the bills but it's for me and it makes me happy yeah
1: (laughs) are you the type of person that when whenever inspiration strikes that's when you get after it or you carve out time like every week Saturday from like nine to noon you're gonna sit down and do something
0: I'm still figuring that out. I, I would say, um, I've definitely turned down clients and projects to, to do that sort of dicking around process of art. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a work in progress in terms of what, where, where that sort of, I hate to call it time management, but where that time management goes. Um, but I think it's important, uh, not to, not to lose touch with that and, and continue doing it, you know? Um, and there's not really a goal to you know for it to go somewhere big or be somewhere big, but just to do it because it's it feels good yeah <laughs> can someone buy prints from you if they like any of your stuff um at the moment no, but uh Soon enough, we'll, we'll, I'll figure something out for that. <laughs> Soon enough, okay. Um, I, I think actually, I might uh, with a buddy Chad Ray might be might be uh, having a show in Lockhart sometime in June. So we'll see about that. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's been fun because part of it too is just beyond the personal work. It, it gives me an opportunity to explore things that maybe I didn't have so much of an opportunity before um, like making fonts, you know, just things that like, ah, I've never done this. Let me try this out. Um, and I've gotten good at, um, figuring out augmented reality as well as a result of that. And, and it's, it's, there's no client or commercial impetus behind it, but just doing things to figure it out and to see <laughs> what comes out of that as well too. Yeah. So that's kind of fun as well. Yeah. And that's actually, it's interesting because, you know, it, it's, it's, Obviously it's informed by my training, but some of it's just for experimentation, but it's helped, you know, I've, I've been, um, doing a lot recently, uh, uh, and I still don't know what exactly it is, but I have been doing a lot of NFT work for brands and people, but it's been helpful with the work I'm doing, how that translates as well too. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been working on animating these artworks that work in an augmented reality fashion. And it, 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 you, know, you use your phone, and it turns on it, and the artwork animates. Um, and so I um, worked with a brand called Nifty's. And uh, Lena Waits, um, who's an amazing producer, um, uh, who uh, has her uh, non-profit uh, Hillman House, and uh, they um, have been working with these incarcerated or formerly incarcerated artists uh, to bring light to the prison system and sort of the injustice with that, and um, so they uh, they had their artworks, which uh, I w- was given the great opportunity to um, um, digitize and also animate for them. And those are all the profits for those NFTs now are are, are being given to uh, uh, those nonprofits and the artists themselves. I don't think I would have been able to do that without actually doing the weird art yeah <laughs> personal art you know because like I don't think I would have had the wherewithal to be like oh how would this actually function now and so it's interesting to see the the stuff that I was doing just for myself is starting to mm. bleed into more commercial aspects as well yeah which I'm grateful for yeah
1: I think like a lot of people creatives want to carve out more time for just free thought but you know maybe in their day-to-day work lives they're so stuck in like that de- meeting deadlines deliverables those things like for people listening
0: to that who struggle with that, do you have any advice? Um, yeah, I would s- say to someone that is struggling with that and actually I've had conversations with like former employees, colleagues and things like that. It's just like, what do you ultimately want to do, man? You know, like what, like if this is what you want to do, then, then, then stick with that. But if that's not, then think about that, you know, like, wh- and then if that is what you ultimately do want to do, then try to work towards that, you know? And so if that, if this job is making you miserable and the hours are insane, start covering out time for the thing you want to work towards, or if you really think you'd be happier taking a risk on this other thing, take the risk to quit your job. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. You and I think
0: you feel that way too, Nick, in terms of just, you know, your, your career path too, with, and where they Lamar is taking you. As yeah, well. yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm it- I was uh miserable in my previous job. Was scared to I'm just naturally um risk averse and wasn't sure, you know, there's so much uncertainty with starting your own business. Um and little did I know COVID was about to hit. Right. You know, we signed the legal paperwork for Third Lamar in December of twenty nineteen and uh, you know, three months later COVID hit. But um you know, we reached that point of no return pretty quickly. Tony, Heather and I looking at each other, like we got to make this work. And, um, for some reason it was less stressful than if I had been working at that previous company I was at, because I could see how much money was in our bank account. Like I could, you know, I was, there's no chance I was going to get blindsided and like somebody's gonna be like, Oh, today you're fired. We're doing layoffs. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. so in some weird way, I felt like I had more control having my own business going through COVID than if I we're working for someone else, but um, it was, you know, it's been I've learned so much about myself. It's been an amazing experience. Um And I think I was going to ask you this question, but I'll start off, you know, even my wife's noticed a big difference in me since, since starting this versus when I was uh, working at my past job and even previous jobs. Mm-hmm. And have you noticed that? Has your wife been like, since we moved to Austin, you started doing this like, it's a whole new, you know, Matt <laughs>
0: I Actually, I, I should have done this earlier. Um, the last name is pronounced Shane. Don't ask me why. Oh, <laughs> uh, I screwed that up. <laughs> know it's, it's it's all good, honestly. I don't correct people because it's just too complicated to explain. It, everyone mispronounces things in Louisiana, so okay. that's part of it as well, too. <laughs> um, it's all good. Um, but... Uh, um, you know, yes, she she has noticed a difference. Um, and, you know, I, I think part of it, too, you know, is, is you know, having agency with your own life and, and career path where you kind of have control, like you said, of the budgets and whatever else, mm-hmm. too. And for some people that that's just way too scary and just way too overwhelming. And they like the regularity of a nine to five and mm-hmm. to, totally respect that. But there is something nice to feel like you have control over what you yep. can do day to day, you know, and that's that's a good feeling for sure um I, and you know I, I think in in terms of just like health and wellness and mental wellness you know i, I, I- I think the move obviously helped, but you know, other things too that I encourage for people like, like therapy has been, been really helpful and, um, yeah, not recommended for everyone, but yeah, honestly, like doing psychedelics has been awesome for me too. So I do you do ayahuasca? I did. Yeah. I did ayahuasca doing all, all the weird stuff. Yeah. That's good.
1: <laughs> do you have to go? I mean, I'm sure you can do ayahuasca in the States, but I hear a lot of people
0: go to Peru or somewhere to do it. Yeah. Peru is really popular for that, but you can, I, I don't I've heard people doing Mexico go yeah you know, there's lots of places for sure so yeah. that's been
1: helped your creativity
0: it, what it has it has i think also just it it just helps sort of give clarity um and then, again i wouldn't say it's for everyone um but for me at least it, it was helpful just to sort of um um work, work through um my own shit <laughs> yeah 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 Big proponent of therapy.
1: Therapy is what I went through before I decided to start third Lamar. It kind of like crystallized things for me. So yeah, that's awesome. But I guess not surprising. Both my parents are psychiatrists. So
0: oh really, yeah, my, uh, my dad's a shrink, so I can relate. There you go. I I didn't even
1: know it had like a stigma until I think my junior of high school when, uh, somebody's like, Oh, both your parents are shrinks. I was like, What?
0: well, we have a reputation for being kind of wild. Um, shrinks kids do at least. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, get that. Yeah.
1: Um, well, cool. Last question for people that want to learn more about you or reach out to you or just find out more. Um, I think your website is C S E E dash dot T.com, right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I, I should probably update that site with the more recent work, um, which I'll do eventually when I feel like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that if, if you want to see the, the professional stuff that's there. And then if you want to see the weird personal stuff, that's going to be on the Instagram, which is, uh, M a T T, S C H O E N on Insta.
1: Yeah. Matt Shane, everyone, uh, <laughs> Matt it's uh, great for you to join us. We'll do another one in like a year or so and catch up on where things are. Sounds awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Nick.
0: We live in a world that's kind of crazy right now. Are you adding more to the system than taking from it? I wasn't willing to
1: tell myself that I didn't believe in myself enough to make it work.
0: Come to Austin, just do cool stuff. That's the cover oh. charge.